Back to the Hot Spice Show. As always, I'm your host, JC Calavita, aka Hot Spice, and I'm recording from surprisingly snowy State College, Pennsylvania, here on the first day of April. It's here. It's finally here. The day we've waited for since the end of October. It's opening day. Is everyone excited? You should be. Alright, so this week, I'll give my preview of the National League and predict how the playoffs will pan out for the senior circuit. Today, we also have an interview with William Binder. He's a freshman third baseman for the LaSalle University Explorers baseball team of the Atlantic 10 Conference, and he's here to talk about his baseball journey and what it's like to start as a freshman at the Division I level. And to end the show, I'm going to talk about one of the biggest pranks in the history of sports journalism. So starting out with the NLEs, I have the Braves in first place. They were one game away from the World Series last year before blowing a 3-1 lead to the eventual champion Los Angeles Dodgers. They have one of the most stacked and experienced lineups in the National League, with Ronald Acuna Jr., Ozzie Albies, reigning MVP Freddie Freeman, and Marcelo Zuno. They could potentially have three players with 35-plus home runs. Dancy Swanson at short is such a plus for Atlanta. The former 2015 first overall pick out of Vanderbilt led all shortstops in defensive runs saved in 2020. He had his best hitting season of his career with a slash line of 274, 345, 464, and also hit 10 home runs. Heading into his age 27 season, expect him to be the reason that the Braves sink or swim. The Braves rotation could be the team's big weakness. Max Fried and Charlie Ward are two reliable arms, but Mike Soroka is starting the year on the IL after an injury plagued 2020. There are questions on whether he can find his 2019 All-Star form again. Lefty third-slash-fourth starter Drew Smiley is the guy who needs to step up for Atlanta if they want to have yet another long playoff run. I see the Braves taking the division for the fourth straight year. In second place, I got the Phillies. The Phillies have improved so much over last year. The bullpen underwent a complete facelift. Now, Hector Neris is still the closer, but they signed Jose Alvarado and Archie Bradley, who will be setup men. Bradley is such a proven and seasoned veteran, and Alvarado is a 25-year-old that regularly hits triple digits on the gun. Vince Velasquez has finally moved to the bullpen, something fans have wanted for years, and a lot of the bullpen is filled with flamethrowers and experienced talent. One thing is for sure, the Phillies will not have the second-worst bullpen in MLB history again. The lineup is pretty much the same. That's kind of big. They re-signed JT Realmuto. He's the best catcher in baseball. He's set to have a great season this year. Even coming off that wrist injury, Bryce Harper is poised to have an MVP-like season based on what he did in spring training. And I'm really excited about Alec Bohm. I think he could be an all-star at third base this year. Up and down the lineup, but they're pretty stacked. In third place, I have the Mets. The biggest move of the MLB offseason was the Mets acquiring Francisco Lindor, and they just extended him with a 10-year, $341 million contract. The reason I have the Mets in third is because the NL East is so deep this year. Their rotation could be questionable. Jacob deGrom is going to be amazing, but Noah Syndergaard won't come back till June, and he's a question mark. Marcus Stroman seems to be better than ever, but you really don't know. And Taiwan Walker, he had a pretty good season last year, and the Mets hope he can be a solid third, fourth starter to make a run at that postseason. Other than Francisco Lindor, their lineup is pretty solid. Pete Alonso is going to hit 35 home runs. That's a given. Jeff McNeil on his bat with no knob. That's true. Look it up. His bat doesn't have a knob. He's going to hit 300. Dominic Smith broke out last year, and I just only see him getting better. I'm going to be honest. The reason I don't see the Mets making the playoffs is just because they're known for choking, and their pitching staff isn't too convincing outside of DeGrom, but I could easily see them making it in. I think that's their ceiling. In fourth place, I have the Nationals. They do have young stars like Trey Turner and Juan Soto and good pitchers in Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg. But Strasburg could be a question mark because he is coming off of an injury. And 
they did pick up Josh Harrison, John Lester, and Kyle Schwarber, but those guys are all former standouts who are way past their prime. I do think they could have a chance to be good if everything goes their way, and they get a little help via the Phillies and the Mets underperforming. Realistically, their ceiling could be the second wild card, but honestly, I'd be surprised if they did well this year. The Marlins are going to be terrible this year. They're, they're going to be in last place again. I know the Fish made the playoffs last year. They even won against the Cubs. Their best player is Starling Marte, and their only other player who's halfway good in the lineup is Brian Anderson. Jesus Aguilar and Adam Duvall are both well past their prime. I really don't see them competing for any type of playoff spot this year. They will be back to losing ways for a while. So I see the Braves get the number two seed in the NL and the Phillies taking the second wild card out of this division. Moving on to the NL Central, I see the Cardinals as the clear favorite here. They absolutely bamboozled the Rockies into giving them the best third baseman in the league in Nolan Laronado. I think Paul Goldschmidt is going to have a monster year at first base. His power numbers were down last year, but he did hit 300. So if he puts it all together, he's going to have a special campaign. We could be saying goodbye to one of the greatest catchers of all time in Yadier Molina. He's 38 years old and his offensive numbers are what they once were, but they're still pretty good from a catching standpoint. And another player that we could be seeing their swan song is Molina's battery mate, Adam Wainwright. Again, he's not the player he once was, but he still can get guys out and he can win you key games. His playoff experience is why I think St. Louis can go deep in the postseason. And Jack Flaherty is an, the undisputed ace of that staff and a dark horse for the Cy Young Award. The 25-year-old had a down year in 2020, but his 2019 season shows he can be a beast for many years to come. The cards aren't as strong as the Dodgers or the Braves, but they are the best team in a weekend central division. Now, the Brewers, I have them in second place. They're an interesting story because at their best, they can compete with anyone in the National League. They have perennial MVP candidate in Christian Yelich. In 2020, he hit an abysmal 205, but I think he's back on track after hitting almost 400 in spring training. Picking up Colton Wong was one of the most underrated moves of the offseason. Wong isn't the flashiest player, but he does his job very well and is known for coming through in the clutch. His years on the Cardinals gives him a bunch of postseason experience, and I think he can give that knowledge to the younger players to help them succeed in October. Colton Wong and Lorenzo Cain are two stellar defensive players, and as they say, defense wins championships. I really like the top two arms in this rotation. Brandon Woodruff is so reliable, and Corbin Burns has one of the filthiest sliders I've ever seen, and his strikeout rate is off the charts. But you can't talk about the Brew Crew without mentioning Josh Hader. He is the most talented reliever in the game. Goodbye, the end. Overall, I think Milwaukee has a good shot at the postseason. Well, the only reason I don't see them making it as of now is because of how stacked the NL East looks and how good the Cardinals appear to be on paper. Now, the Cubs are going to be in third place. The glory days are over, Cubs fans. Welcome back to mediocrity. Chicago, for whatever reason, brought back Jake Arrieta. While he was in Philadelphia, Jake the Snake was a big disappointment. Maybe he can return to where he was during his first stint with the Cubs, but I really doubt it. They also traded away Hugh Darvish in the offseason, which means they don't really think they're going to be good this year. In fact, most of that core from the 2016 championship wants out. I really don't think Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant will be here much longer. Javier Baez is still a stud, but his talents will be lost on an aging and regressing team. The lone bright spot in that rotation for the Cubbies is going to be Kyle Hendricks. I've always been a fan of his. His ERA will without a doubt be in the mid to low twos. He and Baez will be in Atlanta representing the Cubs in the All-Star game. I really think the Cubs are headed for sustained mediocrity if they don't blow up the course soon and get some prospects in return. The Reds I have in fourth place after losing their Cy Young Award winner Trevor Bauer. They couldn't even muster a single run in 22 innings against the Braves in the wildcard series. There are some good weapons in Cincinnati like longtime great Joey Votto and Eugenio Suarez. 
But the Reds can't really compete with the NL's best, just like the Cubs, they should consider blowing up the core and building for the future. In last place here in the Central, I got the Pirates. I don't really have much to say. Pirates, good luck. This season's not going to be fun for you at all. You better not ruin Jack Leiter or Kumar Rocker. These two are generational talents, and screwing their careers up will be yet another black mark on the dumpster fire that is the Pittsburgh organization. Now, rounding out the NL Central, I think the Cardinals will be the three seed after winning the Central. The NL West, the Dodgers are going to be first. They're going to win their 10th consecutive divisional crown, and they've somehow found a way to get better. Obviously, they're bringing back, you know, Cody Bellinger and Mookie Betts. They're going to lead the way, and there's no doubt in my mind that they can repeat. I think they have one of the best chances of the last few World Series winners. Not only do they have an extremely potent offense that includes Corey Seager, Justin Turner, and Max Muncy, their rotation is star-studded. Kershaw, Bauer, Bueller. Need I say more? Their names alone should be enough. Their bullpen still has high-quality arms like Kenley Jansen and Blake Trinan. This team is solid from top to bottom again, and I really think they have a great chance to repeat. The Padres rival the Dodgers this year. The Fernando Tatis and Manny Machado led the charge last year and finally put some respect on the San Diego name. The only reason I have them in second place is because, again, the Dodgers have more experience, but I think it's a real possibility that both teams could win 100 games. The Fires loaded up on pitching talent this offseason in Yu Darvish and Blake Snell and Joe Musgrove to combine with Chris Paddock. Their lineup supporting cash to propel them to another run in the playoffs. Eric Hosmer, Will Myers, and Jake Cronenworth were all major pieces in the Padres' playoff runs last year. Expect them to give the Dodgers a run for their money. The bottom three teams in this division are so irrelevant. They kind of don't matter. I'm going to touch on each of them a little bit. The D-backs have Madison Bumgarner and Cattell Marte. But other than that, they don't really have any stars and can't compete with the Dodgers or Padres. They should look for a plan for the future. The glory days of the Giants winning three championships in five years are long gone. Tommy LaStella was a good pickup. And Mike Krzyzewski will provide a spark at the middle of the lineup. But Johnny Cueto is well past his prime in the rotation. He's still an effective pitcher. But Giants fans, you're not going to make the playoffs. Just enjoy Buster Posey. This could be his last year as a Giant. No, the Rockies. (laughs) Oh, my God, the Rockies. What a sorry excuse for a baseball team. You gave away your franchise's best player in years for pennies on the dollar. You have an aging core where the best thing for you to do is just trade them away and hope to build up your farm system. Trevor Story is going to get paid, whether that's in Colorado or somewhere else. Herman Marquez's talents are wasted here. Trade him to a contender so he can actually contribute to a team that matters. Overall, the NL West is a two-team race, and the bottom three teams are just along for the ride. The Dodgers are going to be the number one seed in the NL, and the Padres will be the first wild card. That's how I see the NL West playing out. Now, the playoffs, I got the Phillies over the Padres in that wild card game. In the NLDS, I got the Dodgers over the Phillies and the Cardinals over the Braves. In the NLCS, I got the Cardinals over the Dodgers. And coming back from last week's AL preview, I have the Blue Jays over the Cardinals in the World Series. Now it's time for our guest to join the show. He's a freshman third baseman for the LaSalle Explorers baseball team of the Atlantic 10 Conference in Philadelphia. He's a former 11U Pennsylvania Little League state champion and was a four-year starter for the Firebirds of Holy Ghost Prep in Ben Salem, PA. As a junior, he was selected to the All-Bicentennial League first team and the Bucks County Courier Times Golden Team. According to Perfect Game, he was the 8th best third baseman in Pennsylvania, as well as the 97th overall prospect in the Keystone State. William Binder, welcome to the Hot Spice Show. How are you, Will? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, Pretty long day, but good overall. So I start every interview the same way. I ask players to give me a scouting report on themselves. Okay, uh, I'm a quick third baseman that can drive the ball in gaps and uh, occasionally has power. Uh, pretty good arm. 
What do you think sets you apart from other third basemen? Uh, I think my ability to get to balls in the gap. Uh, I have a good first step, which allows me to get to balls that a lot of other third basemen might not get to. So let's talk a little bit about your baseball journey. So can we get a Cliff Notes version of how you went from Morrisville to LaSalle? Yeah, yeah. Uh, started off in Mooresville. Started when I was probably around five years old. T-ball. Played there till I was 12. After that, I started playing at uh, Gallagher over in Jersey and at my middle school, Pen- uh, Penwood. Continued playing Gallagher pretty much most of my high school career and attended Holy Ghost Prep. And then junior summer, I ended up playing for the Philly Bandits, which is how I found my way here at LaSalle. What would you say is the coolest thing about being a Division One athlete? Uh, the coolest thing about being a Division One athlete is just the friends you make on the team. It's it's just a, you spend a lot of time together and you pretty much become family uh, with all the practices, time like eating together, lifting. How would you describe the clubhouse atmosphere? The clubhouse atmosphere is really, uh, really neat. Just having everyone together and just chilling all the time. So this offseason, what was the thing that you decided that you needed to work on the most? Uh, this offseason was a lot different than all the other ones coming. Get, I needing to get ready to face college pitching. So I think I work mostly on catching up to higher velocity pitches. Is that the biggest difference that you've seen? Is this the, the larger velocity increase from high school to college? Uh, coming into it, I thought that was going to be the biggest difference. But now that I'm here, I realized I'd say a bigger difference is pitch location. The pitchers here are a lot better at hitting their spots more consistently. And there's a lot less mistake pitches. And also the off-speed off pitches move a lot more than they did in high school. Have you had an I'm not in high school anymore moment yet? Like, have you uh, been humbled at all yet or been, like, kind of embarrassed a little bit? Uh, Yeah, actually, I did my first collegiate at bat. Uh, I was hitting in the nine hole, and the scouting report on the pitcher was mostly fastballs. Uh, I get up to home plate, and he struck me out on three straight curveballs, which I was not ready for. So I think I was pretty humbled after that, and after that, I was ready to go. How do you guys get those reports? Do you see, do you get, do, um, do you have any coaches that, you know, scout those teams or how do you, how do you get those scouting reports from other teams? Uh, there's actually a app or website where you're able to see uh, most, the most division one teams have it. You can see pretty much see every pitch their pitcher has thrown and every at bat, the batter, every pitch they've seen. So there's calculations, there's the speeds, there's pitch location. So by we have a couple coaches that watch that and they are able to like figure out what the pitcher has. If you're uh, it's a pitching coach, he's able to see what what the hitters were playing like to see what they hit most. They, they can see the spread charts. So there's the technology definitely helps with the scouting reports. What's it like starting as a freshman? Um, it, what, did you expect that? Did you expect to be the starting starting third baseman out of the gate? Uh, I did not expect it. Obviously, it was uh, my goal the entire time. It's what I worked for all, all off season to get ready for it. But yeah, I, I wasn't completely expecting it, but it's really nice getting the opportunity to do so. What do you feel is a defining trait that every college baseball player needs in order to succeed? Uh, I think a trait that 
this level you need to have is confidence. If you go up there like thinking you're not gonna do well, you're not gonna you're not gonna have success here. You need to go up there knowing that you are gonna do good. Uh, lack of confidence every time you see it just never ends well for the players. Absolutely. I mean, Yogi Berra always said 90% of the game is half mental. You're never going to, you need to be able to be in the right mindset in order to like, you got to think I'm going to hit the ball rather than I'm going to try to get a hit. Let's talk about your recruiting process. What schools were interested in you and why did you ultimately choose to become an explorer? Uh, I actually had a really unique recruiting process. Uh, freshman year, I wasn't able to play summer or fall ball, which is a big year for recruiting. I injured my wrist. Sophomore summer, I was able to play and got, that's when I first started getting in contact with some schools. I talked to High Point, Fordham, Binghamton, uh, but it still wasn't like completely into it. And junior summer, uh, first game in, there's a lot of coaches at the game. I had a pretty good game. After the game, my knee swelled up and I actually injured my meniscus. And about a week after that is when I got in contact with LaSalle. And I wanted to visit and just really like the school overall. Really like the field, uh, the business building they took me through. The, I, I really like the coaches there, a lot of energy. I met some of the players. They seemed like they really liked it too. So those were some of the main things that had me going there. Also, I like being local. Have your parents been able to come to a lot of your games? Because I know you... Philly's only about an hour away for you. Is is it and also is it cool seeing them in the stands just like, you know, high school or you know youth youth ball? Yeah, we actually got really lucky about a week before the season started, LaSalle got the okay to have fans now. So we were allowed to have two fans at every home game. And um, my parents have been able to come to every home game so far. And it's nice the home games that they weren't able to make or the away games most away games are not allowed to go to our stream, so they're able to watch it there. But it is really nice looking out in the stands and seeing them there, knowing they're supporting me. I know LaSalle announced at the beginning of the year that they'd be cutting their baseball program at the end of the season. But there were a lot of donations from alumni. Do you know the current the current status of the baseball team for next season? Uh, I haven't heard any updates too recently, but everything we hear, it's, things are there's still like a chance we get saved and we all just, we're just hoping to stay positive and hope that the chance it does get saved that because we all, we all love it here. We are, we're, we're all hoping for the best. We, we haven't heard too much about uh, the numbers yet. So you haven't thought about where you might go if the team ends up folding next season at all. Uh, I've looked into it a little. I'm, I actually haven't went on the transfer portal yet, so I'm not able to talk to coaches, but uh I've done like a little research in like possible schools uh, that I might be interested in, but overall I have not done, I haven't really looked into it too much yet. So for this season, how do you feel the Explorers stack up against the rest of the A-10? Because I know you guys are 10 and seven right now, you're doing well, um, but where do you see this, the rest of the season going? I, I think we're going to do really good in A-10. Uh, we have a really solid squad this year solid pitching staff, hitting, everything. Uh, so far, we've played six, eight, ten games. I think we won four of them. So I think we're looking pretty good based off what we've seen so far. And recently, the A-10 split into, like, two kind of separate conferences, like the North and the Southern. 
So I think that will also be nice. Uh, not as long like road trips to the South. So I think we'll be ready to go to all of the games. I Back when I was 16 or 17 that summer, I played a showcase at LaSalle. Now, is this is this field still two different um, like materials? Because I know the 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 infield was straight up turf, and the outfield was like field hockey turf. Has they have they have they updated the stadium at all? Yeah, actually, about a month after I committed there, they redid the entire field, uh, new turf and everything. So it's it's all one turf now. It it, it plays really nice too. Through 17 games in your freshman year, what's your goal for the rest of the season, like individually? Uh, my individual goals are just to come ready to play every game and continue to get better. So far in these 17 games, I've just learned almost more about baseball and, like, approach off the bat than I have the rest of my life. Uh, just constant, like, improvement, and you're always thinking about what you can do better. So that, I'd say that's one goal. And I think another team goal would be just the same thing, go out ready to play every game and win as many games as possible. How have the upperclassmen helped you so far? Like, what tips have you received from them that have really gone a long way? Uh, The upperclassmen here have been extremely helpful in getting me, like, ready to play. Uh, Every time I do make a mistake, whether it's practice in a game, they just know what to do. They've all been in a similar position, so... They give me, like, tips what they did, or if they messed up in this situation, they give me on tips of what they should have done to, to improve. So that's always been uh, extremely helpful since I've been here. What do you think has been the biggest change in how you play the game from high school to college? I'd say the biggest change the way I play is definitely mentally. Uh, you have to have full uh, – you have to pay attention the entire game because – unlike high school we had a lot of blowouts in high school here at LaSalle every game has been like a close game it's been a fight to the end so I'd say just being alert the entire game and also my uh, approach up the bat has been a huge uh, change just the pitching is just a lot better at this level. LaSalle's in Philly and I know because of COVID some stuff is closed but have your friends have you and your friends been able to enjoy some of the Philly nightlife? When we first got here, we went to like dinner in the city one time. But other than that, we've been pretty careful with COVID because this is an important season for us with us not knowing the future of the program. So we've been we've been uh, staying locally a lot more than I think we would have in previous years. What's an average day like for you? Yeah, my days usually start off with waking up pretty early, getting a shower and as much food as I in as I can, which I usually make like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich here because our dining halls aren't open yet. Then I usually head towards uh, to my 8 a.m. class. I have class three classes that usually like eight for, uh, eight o'clock to around 12:30. After that, I go get a meal from the dining hall and head straight to lifts. Once we're done lifting, I usually have around like half an hour, an hour to get home, some homework done, and then I head straight to the field for practice. Uh, once practice is done, I go go back to my dorm, grab another meal, and pretty much spend the rest of the night getting my homework done. Is there any piece of advice that you got from a coach or just, like, another player, I guess, that really stuck with you? Yeah, honestly, 
the, the biggest uh, quote that helped me play is just fight till the end. And I, I've always realized it, but here as much as possible, these games aren't over till they're over. You have to fight the entire time. And I realized that especially when we played Coppin State, we were down three runs going into the bottom of the ninth and were able to battle back for the win. And also with like a long days here, you want to like give up early in the morning classes. You maybe you don't want to go to your next class or skip lifts, uh, take it easy on practice, but you just got to fight till the day, day's over. Just keep fighting till the end. I think that's probably the biggest advice that helped me get through all this. Who would you credit most on the baseball player that you became? Uh, I'd, I'd say my dad. He's always helped me along the way, everything. Anytime I'd want to go hit, he'd always be willing to come and throw to me. If I wanted to take some ground balls, he'd hit me ground balls. If I wanted to go to a, a clinic or something, he'd always be there to drive me. So I think him overall has helped me every way I could uh, to help me become the player I am today. All right, I got one last question for you. What do you think that you love most about baseball? Uh, I think the thing I love most about baseball is just it clears my mind about everything else. It's one of the only things I'm able to do and just focus on completely on that and not have to worry about what else is going on, like with school or work or anything. I'm able to just completely focus on baseball and have a good time and just keep playing. Well, thank you, Will. Um, Good luck this year, and have a great rest of your day. All right. Thank you very much for having me. Finally, let's talk about the time that Sports Illustrated totally trolled the baseball world. On April 1st, 1985, a writer named George Plimpton published an article entitled The Curious Case of Sid Finch. Sid Finch was supposedly a rookie pitcher for the New York Mets. It was said that Finch was raised in an English orphanage where he was adopted by an archaeologist who later died in a plane crash in Nepal. Finch was said to have learned yoga in Tibet, mastering the mind-body, and to have previously attended Harvard University. Finch also pitched with one shoe, a heavy hiker's boot. He never really played baseball before and was deciding on having a career in sports or playing the French horn. The funniest thing about Sid Finch is that he threw 168 miles per hour, way higher than the measly record of 104 at the time. Finch was given a locker between George Foster and Daryl Strawberry. There were even pictures of the alleged Sid Finch with former Met Lenny Dykstra and pitching coach Mel Stoudemire. The funny part is that the man who portrayed Finch was one of George Plimpton's buddies. He was a middle school art teacher named Joe Burton who stood six foot four. On April 2nd, Burton, cosplaying as Sid Finch, announced his retirement at a real press conference and the entire article was declared one big April Fool's joke on April 15th. All right, everyone, I'll just about do it for this edition of the Hot Spice Show. Shout out to my aunt for giving me the idea for the player of the week. Great idea, Zidzy. Thank you so much for listening. I release new episodes every Thursday. I love doing this, and I hope you all continue listening so I can keep doing it. Make sure you follow me on Instagram and Twitter at J underscore Colovita 12. That's J underscore C-O-L-A-V-I-T-A 12. I'd like to thank Will Biner for taking the time to do an interview, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I look forward to you joining me next week. And one more time, I'm JC Calavita, a.k.a. Hotspite, and this has been The Hotspite Show. Peace, bros.